welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode of Lagrange Point, we're talking about vaccines, vaccines, and vaccines. But more to the point, we're talking about measles, smallpox, bird flu, and the ethics around vaccines. On today's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. Camille. Hi. And our resident doctor, Tegan. Not, not technically a doctor, but hello. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the biggest, deadliest killering diseases... Killering, it's a word, is uh, smallpox. And that we live in fear of smallpox because when it was around, it ravaged our planet and killed a lot of people. And it was really difficult to stop the spread of. Thankfully, we have some good vaccines to develop. And using vaccination and segregation, we actually managed to try and remove the spread of smallpox in our world. Is there a big pox? I don't know. <laughs> like, why do we have smallpox but not a big pox? Why isn't it just the pox? Yeah. There's chicken pox and cow pox and... And a pox in both your houses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the pox? In the pox. What they've found is that they can actually try and engineer smallpox. Just like we used uh, cowpox to help us fight smallpox in the original, one of the first vaccines. We're thinking about using smallpox itself to be engineered to actually fight cancer cells. So you, researchers at the University of California in San Diego have been looking at a certain variant of smallpox to actually show to attack specifically liver cancer. So they're using Pexavec, which is basically the the base ingredient of the smallpox vaccine. It's a genetically engineered virus. So they're trying to modify that to actually then attack cancer cells for liver cancer. So I have to be really specific. So a specific type of cancer, not just all types of cancer. Yeah. We're never going to be able to develop a vaccine against cancer simply because cancer is a very multifaceted problem and there are so many different types of cancers. There is no silver bullet to defeat all of cancer. It's really interesting, the role of, um, of viruses and vaccines in cancer. Um, so here they're trying to use a virus to target um, a cancer that's already existing in someone's body. So um, it, from what I've read about this, um, this vaccination, um, the virus, the smallpox virus, um, shows a natural ability to target the, the cancer tissues, which is great because a lot of research is going into um, ways to target cancer directly. Um, obviously, when people are having chemotherapy, for example, there's a lot of collateral damage. There's a lot of tissues in their bodies that get damaged, so they have a lot of side effects. If you can take the chemotherapy directly to the cancer cells and not affect the rest of the body, that would just be such a burden lifted from from people undergoing the, those treatments. So do you, um, need, do you need a sample of the specific like cancer cells to engineer these viruses to get it, to go to it? So... From what I've read about this one is it was found to already target the cancer tissues relative to the normal tissues. So I don't know a lot about in this study why that is. In some cases, um, there can be mechanisms to target cancer cells because they're more active or they're using more blood flow or using more sugar or using different things. Um, Cancer cells usually work quite differently to body cells, so it's usually targeting one of the things about the cancer cells that's different to the body cells. Um, The other really interesting thing about viruses and cancer is things like the Gardasil cervical cancer vaccine. So that's a vaccine 
vaccination against cervical cancer. So that's actually a vaccination against a virus, the human papillomavirus, which can go on to cause cancer. So in that case, we're preventing it. In the case with this smallpox vaccine and liver cancer, we're treating the cancer that's there. But with the cervical cancer vaccine, we're avoiding being infected with a virus that can go on to cause damage to your cells and cancer down the track. Yeah, so it's not actually preventing cancer, it's preventing the thing that could possibly develop into cancer. So that sort of shows the the two methods of attack. We can either vaccinate against the virus that can end up into something like cancer, um, or we can vaccinate, so use vaccines to help fight cancer once it's in place. Obviously, the preference is to get it before you ever develop it. But if anything that can help the fight against cancer is always useful. That's right. And there's there's a lot we don't know about viruses. There are a lot of viruses that might infect us, you know, without having many symptoms. So there are some theories about um, about whether viruses, um, because they do cause something like cervical cancer, whether other viruses could be contributing in some way to other cancers as well. So it'd be interesting to see down the track what, what happens with that research. Yeah, and looking at what other the other root causes are. So it shows the interesting applications of vaccinations and viruses uh, to our everyday life in helping save lives and prevent lives from being at risk in the first place. In a previous podcast, we were talking about zombie viruses and the possibility of zombies. Because the zombie virus is a virus, does that mean we could essentially make vaccines? against it, say in like a post-apocalyptic future, if we sell the technology? Yeah, if that's what's causing like the, the zombification, if it's a virus, I mean, I guess there's no reason why we can't. I mean, it's hard though, you can't you can't necessarily produce a vaccine for every virus, it depends, because like HIV, for example, that would be like, you know, the holy grail of creating a vaccine, because then you could wipe out HIV, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But no one's no one's kind of got there yet so it's not a guarantee that you could definitely create a var- a vaccine against it does that make sense well yeah. yeah we can't really create a vaccine against it until we have we know the actual disease that's causing mm. it in the first place and well, and even then there's no guarantees would you administer the um vaccine before or after you're dead though because i mean if you're if you're like vaccinating yourself against a zombie virus which doesn't even kick in until like and this After comes back to the question that we had before. The reason we were talking about before about using um, using a vaccine such as in cervical cancer to actually prevent you from getting it, which means that's your immunity, but also we talked about this example of liver cancer where it's actually killing it. So that might work in the zombie case to actually prevent you from being a zombie in the first place, but also to if you are starting to get that degeneration to actually kill it. Before it spread through your entire body and yeah. ate your brain. That's right. <laughs> or before you ate too many other people's brains. <laughs> yeah. that, that too. That too. Yes, indeed. So in today's section of Ethical Progress, we're going to look at the impact of vaccination and herd immunity. We talked about how parents make decisions to look after the best interest of their children and keep them safe. And because of that, some parents go, well, hang on, even if there's a risk that this vaccine does damage to my child, I don't want to give it to them. And that's fine as a decision that they make as an individual. But the bigger question then becomes, what happens to society? Because as soon as people start not having vaccines, we lose something called our herd immunity, which is a really interesting um, part about uh, 
uh, things that we picked up from animal studies and noticed as well in human society. So, Tegan, what, what exactly is herd immunity? So, when you vaccinate um, a lot of people against a disease, for example, polio, polio is a really good one. Um, when you vaccinate a lot of people against polio, um, then most people will be immune in the community. Um, and so, therefore, rates of transmission of polio will go down because, you know, if there are 100 people um, living near each other or 100 people at a school and 99 of them are vaccinated against polio and one person isn't, that one person who isn't is going to be in contact only with people who've been vaccinated. So there's not going to be anyone that that one person who's not immunised can actually catch polio off. So that means that one person is protected by the rest of the herd because they've all had their immunisations. The time that this can become a problem is if it's not 99 people who've been vaccinated, but if it's maybe 70 or 60 or 50% of people who've been vaccinated. Um, as I said before, there's there's been a, a rise over the last um, couple of decades in people objecting to vaccinations and relying on herd immunity for their um, protection against these sort of diseases. But the problem is that once this goes on for a while, they actually then defeat the purpose of herd immunity. So you can get by if you're that one person who hasn't been vaccinated. But as soon as it gets out of hand, then actually it makes it really dangerous for anyone else who isn't vaccinated. And so now you're not only starting to impact your... Look look after yourself, like make a decision that impacts you, you're actually impacting the rest of society, which is where it gets really risky. Yeah, and I guess... The thing about um, these objections is that what you're saying by objecting to having these vaccines is that you believe that the vaccines work and you don't want to subject your children to any risk whatsoever, but you're happy for everyone else's children to be having that risk, which is um, a a bit of a tricky thing to to justify, really. especially when you think about the implications um, for public health and for the economics of it all. So, for example, the, the issue that we were talking about with the measles vaccinations in Wales at the moment, um, this has now created a situation where there have been deaths. There's been an enormous economic cost, both in, um, I'm sure, people having to take time off work to take care of their sick loved ones, but also the economic cost of putting on extra casual staff um, in order to do all these mass vaccinations that they're having to do. Um, it's, a, it's a huge thing to have to run and it's a great thing to do, but wouldn't it be great if we didn't have any of those issues to start with? And it comes from people's perception about risk associated with the vaccine. So the idea in principle of a vaccine can be kind of scary. It is basically, here, take this thing that we know hurts you, but we want you to have it now so that when you have it in the future, you'll be fine. In principle, yeah. this kind of seems weird, but yeah. in reality, this works really well. And yeah. we, we know that this actually works even in so-called... We've been doing this as a type of vaccination for years and years and years. People in royal courts in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance used to eat a lot of tomatoes because it helped vaccinate them against poisons such as belladonna. Oh. by building up an immunity to it. 
we know that this stuff works. It's not some kind of thing that we've just developed in the last 50 years. We've refined it to particularly targeted uses now. Does that mean we should be eating measles to make ourselves immune to measles? Well, effectively, that's what mm. we're doing. It's pretty much what just you're doing when you're getting the injection. It's giving you, like, a taste it, so that you can develop that um, yeah. immunity so, to it. Yeah, and there are different ways that they create the vaccine. Sometimes it's using um, virus that's been killed, so it's been heat-treated so it can't, um, it can't survive anymore. Um, sometimes it's just using a part, like the coating of the virus, so there's no actual virus DNA or virus RNA in it. There's just the outside, which is what your body will recognise. Um, it, it's um, it's really interesting the whole idea of risk that's associated with vaccination. I mean, there is always a risk with any therapy that we do. Anything we prescribe has a risk. There's always a very small risk that you could be allergic to a vaccine, for example. But the thing about vaccines is we've, we know what those risks are and we've tested them so carefully and we've put things in place to prevent those risks. So that's why your doctor will usually um, ask you to stay around for 10 or 15 minutes after you've had a vaccination or why you'll, you'll sit um, after having vaccinations in school, they'll keep an eye on you for a little while. It's to prevent any serious adverse reactions um, taking hold and to deal with them when they happen. Um, most people, for example, with the flu vaccine, I had a bit of a sore arm for about a day, maybe 24 or 48 hours. But do you know what? That's a lot better than the flu. The benefits really outweigh the risks. I think as well that whole um, people having a misunderstanding on how vaccines work, that kind of freaks them out. Like, oh, I'm inserting the virus into myself. As well as, as we were saying before, that um, the studies that show... Incorrect correlation, yeah. basically. Yeah, so it, it really... Vaccines are a very useful tool for not only individual health, but also public health policy. Uh, and they work best when they're widespread, well-adopted and well-understood and widely used. And we can point to numerous examples of these being absolutely fine. The testing that, that people have to go through to in order to produce a vaccine before they can get to you is very, very extensive. So we do that in order to avoid unnecessary risk. And that's why we make these ethical decisions. And doctors are making these decisions every time they develop and then distribute any type of vaccine. So it's a well-discussed, well-researched and well-methodically thought through area of medicine and a very important one for public health policy. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. On today's episode, we've talked about the ethics of vaccines and the way it impacts our larger society. We've also addressed the zombie virus, as well as how we can make vaccines and old diseases fight for us against new foes. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.